and welcome to the Rev Sarah Shares podcast. There is the beginning of Lent, so we have the temptation of Jesus and we're focusing on the 40 days. Often we head straight to the temptations, but what if the answer to temptation lies in the preparation? So Andy's going to lead us through our gospel text from Matthew 4 and then a reflection on the passage where we think about physical and spiritual strength. Matthew chapter 4, reading verses 1 to 11, the temptation of Jesus. Then the Spirit led Jesus into the desert to be tempted by the devil. After spending 40 days and nights without food, Jesus was hungry. Then the devil came to him and said, If you are God's son, order these stones to turn into bread. But Jesus answered, The scripture says, Human beings cannot live on bread alone, but need every word that God speaks. Then the devil took Jesus to Jerusalem, the holy city, set him on the highest point on the temple and said to him, if you are God's son, throw yourself down. For the scripture says, God will give orders to his angels about you. They will hold hold you up with their hands so that not even your feet will be hurt on the stones. Jesus answered, but the scripture also says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Then the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and all their greatness. All this I will give you, the devil said, if you kneel down and worship me. Then Jesus answered, go away, Satan. The scripture says, worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left Jesus, the angels came and helped him. Amen. Of all the texts that we look at during the season of Lent, this one is probably the most instantly recognisable one that we would associate with this particular season. It is a text that is recorded both in Matthew's Gospel and in Luke's Gospel. Mark really only gives it a couple of lines of mention just an acknowledgement that Jesus went into the wilderness for 40 days where he was tempted, whereas Matthew and Luke give a fuller account. And this year we're focusing obviously on the Matthew version. It is the lectionary reading for today. The 40 days of Jesus in the wilderness, in the desert, facing the devil, shape our understanding of Lent and indeed how it's been shaped over the generations. 40 is a significant number, obviously, in scripture. First one that probably comes to mind is Noah in the ark where it rains for 40 days straight. He spends a very long time in the boat, but certainly the rains come for 40 days. And it brings to mind that we chorus, I'm sure. But 40 was also important for the Israelites. They wandered in the desert for 40 uh, 40 years. Sorry, nearly said 40 days. For 40 years. We had Moses up the uh, mountain of Sinai inscribing the covenant for 40 days. Um, Moses' life is split into periods of 40 years, marking the different transitions that he faces. And Elijah fasts 40 days before accepting his new commission. So it is a significant number. Now, we know that Lent begins on Ash Wednesday and finishes on Easter Sunday, makes up 46 days, but you take the six Sundays off because they are always festival days where you celebrate the resurrection of Christ. 
Now, we might not disappear off into the wilderness, although some have and some will, but um, we can still use this story to help us understand and develop our faith. And I sometimes wonder if actually that's part of what is missing from our spirituality and the way that we are a church, the way that we worship. I think we do need to prepare for what lies ahead. And Jesus, by going into the wilderness, is preparing for what is to come. The risk that I feel we face is that we have a tendency to try and do things in our own strength and then ask God to bless it, either when it all goes pear-shaped or when it's somehow magically, inverted commas, worked and we ask God to bless it. And the busier we get, the more we leave him to his own devices. We're tempted to go alone because, let's face it, it's easier. And God has a habit of taking us to unexpected places, putting unexpected challenges in front of us and obviously changing us as we go. So to stop and consider life, faith, our purpose, our place in the world, well, that's hard work. Often we still believe what we were taught as children. We rarely challenge the Gospels. We rarely uh, wrestle with it ourselves. We either accept what the minister says as Gospel or we dismiss it out of hand. The church, as the body of Christ, needs to do some serious wrestling with what she believes, what she sees, what she values, what she believes is mission. And if I'm honest, I think we are struggling to truly comprehend what mission is. And I don't think anybody yet has quite figured that out. And it perhaps is unique to each context. And perhaps we're not taking the time, and I include myself in that, to say that we're not taking the time to do the preparation work that we should be doing. The stories of the temptations of Jesus are very telling, and I love the fact that they are shared here. The challenge, as I said earlier, is to know how to respond when we're being tempted. And the first weapon against temptation is identity. Who are we? What do we believe? Or as the Guild have it, whose we are and whom we serve. But who is that? Let's remember when this happens. Last week was Transfiguration Sunday, another text that deals with the identity of Jesus as God's beloved Son. Normally, the Baptism of Jesus text is read in the church in the New Year, which is the first text where God declares out loud about his dear Son. And it is from that unique and special moment where Jesus humbles himself before God his Father, where Jesus embraces his humanity and his calling, signifying his readiness to step out in faith. This is not an Oscar speech from Jesus. This is stepping into that murky water, allowing John, another human being, who totally gets how phenomenal it is, to lay his hands on him and put him under the water. And it's from this moment that Jesus goes into the wilderness. Throughout his ministry, whether it's being baptized or washing the feet of his disciples, Jesus embraces the humility and grace before God and before humans, God's created beings. 
And that alone should fill us with wonder. Here is the Son of God, kneeling, bowed, vulnerable, humble before us all. What an example he sets. And it is from his baptism where his God and Father named him. Remember, in Jewish culture, name and family belonging were incredibly important. That the Spirit leads him into the desert or into the wilderness. And we don't know what happened in those first 40 days. We know what happened at the end of them, but we don't know what happened during them. But we could make some educated guesses. It is, after all, reflected throughout his ministry that Jesus would go away to quiet places, lonely places, to pray, and so on. So we can almost guarantee that there was much prayer, rumination, and scripture work. Remember that scripture was memorized and that Jesus was very fluent in scriptures. Even at the age of 12, he was wowing those in the temple. So after 40 days, understandably, he is hungry. He is fully human. So there is no divine intervention here. We know from other stories that Jesus got weary, that he was tired, that he slept. So Jesus, in this moment in time, is weak, hungry, and vulnerable. And so the devil appears. And the devil starts with his identity. It's funny how the quickest way to undermine somebody is to challenge their identity in any given situation. If you are who you think you are, prove it. Solve your hunger problem with these stones. What struck me as really interesting this time when I read the scriptures was that Jesus actually associates himself with human beings. The devil says, if you are the son of God, do this. Jesus responds with, human beings cannot live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from God the Father. And it's that sense of Jesus embracing his full humanity. He has felt the pain of starvation. And it is with us that he sides against the devil. From there, visually speaking, he takes Jesus to Jerusalem and invites him to throw himself down. We are reminded here, once again, that the devil can quote scripture. And throughout scripture, including from Jesus, we are reminded that of sheep uh, of wolves that come in sheep's clothing it's also why paul invites us to test everything quoting scripture is not proof that you are right and this proves that we too can use scripture inappropriately the text itself is not wrong and yet jesus still counters it with another text from scripture do not put the lord your god to the test Gideon had his fleece and plenty of us have sought signs from God. Plenty of people have also put their hands in the mouths of poisonous snakes because in scripture it says they won't harm you. Really? Did you not read the text that said do not put the Lord to the test? How we balance our use of scripture, how we understand it is incredibly important. The devil, being quite persistent, takes him to a very high mountain and shows him all the kingdoms of the world. These would all be his if he would just kneel and worship him. And it's at this point that Jesus actually stamps his authority, so to speak, and, and tells Satan to be gone and that we are to worship the Lord our God only, quoting again from the Ten Commandments. 
The devil obeys and in Luke's gospel there is a note to say that he waits for another opportunity with which to test Jesus. Angels arrive and minister to Jesus, whether they're angels in human guise or heavenly angels, we're not sure, and perhaps it doesn't matter. But from there, Jesus steps out into his calling, those three years of mission and ministry. In our lives, we face temptation all the time. It's the nature of humanity. Some of us face the temptation to try and please all of the people all of the time, even though we know it's impossible. We stand on that high tower and repeatedly jump off it, praying that the Lord will catch us. Sometimes the landing is painful. Sometimes we float down and the Lord does bless us, even when we don't deserve it. Yet how often we climb that tower and go again because, well, we're martyrs to the cause. Some of us need to stop putting the Lord to the test and stop climbing that tower and learn how to say no. Some of us need to start saying yes to the Lord. We see the kingdoms of the world and we want it all. The expensive, the expensive cars, the jobs, the status, the power, that celebrity vibe when we walk into a room. Keeping up with the Joneses, as it used to be said. We build barriers to protect those that we love. We see others as threats and we polish our crowns. The Lord asks us to give away our wealth and we walk away sad. The Lord asks us to worship him and follow him where he leads. And we say, first Lord, just let me get to the top of my career ladder. I've worked so hard for this. Hang on Lord till I've got my pension pot sorted out so I know that I can retire well. Hold on Lord and let me bury my parents first. When we worship the Lord and serve him only, the status, the wealth, the identity that the world forces upon us fades into insignificance. We step out as beloved children of God and therefore can say yes to God. We will face hardship, persecution and failure. We'll still fall off that tower. We'll still value the praise of the world. We'll try and turn stones into bread, trying to feed ourselves instead of relying on God. And that's okay, as long as each one is a step towards maturity, towards growth, towards developing that relationship with God. And sometimes some of us get it a little bit quicker than others. But I still want to pull us back to those 40 days. There is something significant about those 40 days that we can easily step over straight into the focus on the temptations and they are important. I hope I've made that clear. You see, what struck me is that the temptations happen when Jesus was at his weakest physically, but at his strongest spiritually at his weakest physically, but arguably at his strongest spiritually. Like I said, those 40 days were not spent building furniture in his dad's workshop, dealing with customers, nor was it teaching or training disciples or debating with religious people and all that came next. They were 40 days of prayer, 
of worship, of scripture, of interaction with the Holy Spirit and God. So he was weak physically, but strong spiritually. And I wonder if as a church we are weak physically and or weak spiritually. Weak physically as a church because we're feeling battered and bruised as presbytery mission planning happens. None of us feel confident or secure. Many congregations are hurting. Morale is incredibly low. We're not sure we trust the institution. We don't know who's staying, who's going. And then just throw in human relationships and there's conflict, misunderstandings and more. And so we're not in a good place. In some ways, we're kind of starving. But, and this is a huge but, but we can be weak physically, off kilter, whatever phrase you want to use, but be strong spiritually. What hope is in that statement? What joy is in that statement? What challenge is in that statement? Folks, we need to pray, we need to study God's word, we need to fast, we need to seek God's plan for us as individuals and as a church. We need to invest in discipleship for all ages. We will face the call of the devil to go, uh, go it alone, to feed yourselves, test the Lord, put our risk into his hands or build our own kingdom. And it's going to be hard to resist that at all times. We will fail. Trust me, I know it. We're human beings. But God is greater and better and more faithful than we are. We will resist if, first and foremost, our identity is found in God. And we know that we are his beloved children. We are loved because God loved us first. We need to be able to pray, to quote scripture that encourages and inspires, that we need to worship and we need to trust God in all things. And we have to take some responsibility for the nurture of our faith and our relationship. This week in my private prayers and reflections, there was a point where I found myself completely at peace. It was a somewhat strange uh, experience, but a very blessed one, and I'm grateful for it. My workload is through the roof. My concerns about the future are skyrocketing. And yet I found myself at peace. And as I tried to make sense of that, it came from an understanding that I am not alone and that God was building his kingdom before I got here and he'll be building it after I've left here and that ultimately it's not my gig, it's his. And I know I am not going to please all of the people all of the time. I know I'm going to try and I'm going to do it and get it wrong and all that jazz. That's not my job. My job is to try and please God first and foremost knowing that he loves me regardless. So I want to finish with a wee text from scripture. And I want to encourage all of us, whatever church we're part of, or maybe not part of any church, that we might feel physically weak, that the whole situation that we find ourselves in might feel, make us feel physically weak, but we can still be spiritually strong and face anything and everything with God. So let me finish with this text from, from, from Philippians. 
from the message version. I learned by now I've learned by now to be quite content, whatever my circumstances. I'm just as happy with little as with much, with much as with little. I found the recipe for being happy, whether full or hungry, hands full or hands empty. Whatever I have, wherever I am, I can make it through anything in the one who makes me who I am. Or as some of you might recognise it better, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Thank you for listening to the podcast. And if you want to get the full service, don't forget to check us out on YouTube or Facebook. Remember, Moncrief is spelled E-I. And you're very welcome to visit us on any of our social media platforms. You can also listen to the whole thing by telephoning 01355681230 for the cost of a local call and you'd get everything that happens in our Sunday worship. God bless you and have a great week.